Welcome to Factum Agri, dedicated to New Zealand's primary industry. Each week, I talk with farmers and producers, industry and policy makers to hear their stories and expert opinions on matters relevant to both our rural and our urban communities. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about the primary industry advisory services that are offered to farmers and producers, and I interviewed Ronlan Duncan, who has led research in this area for Landcare Research. Continuing on from that, recently I caught up with farmer Fiona Bush to get a farmer's perspective on these services, and of course, we talk about some of the challenges facing our farmers today. Let's have a listen to the interview, as Fiona is a passionate farmer and articulates very well, in my view, some of the key issues farmers are facing today. Hello, Fiona. Thank you for talking with me today. It's a pleasure. Please, can you tell me about where you are located and what you farm? Uh, well, my husband and I farm probably halfway between Chiviet and Waiau up in North Canterbury. Uh, sheep and beef farm, and it's a mixture of flat, rolling and tussock country. And we go up to about 800 metres, which gets probably snow on it two or three times a year. And we've um, also recently, well, in the last eight years, formed an equity partnership with on a dairy farm with our irrigated land, which is connected to our sheep and beef farm. We're talking about primary industry advisory services today. And as you are a farmer, I'm keen to get your thoughts on a few things. Do you think the farming community get unfairly targeted at times? You mean in terms of the environment? Yeah, yes, in terms of the environment and just generally speaking, we talk about various things in this area, but the environment particularly is an interesting one and quite topical at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. look, it is very topical at the moment. And look, I think in the last few years, probably everywhere we've turned the farming industry, and in particular probably the, the dairy sector more, has, well, it just feels like we're the environmental scapegoat. And look, look, we do feel chipped away at, you know, every, like every um, newspaper you pick up, there's always something negative or something that we're not doing and it's, it's actually quite demoralizing i know all the farmers i know want to leave our farms in a better place in terms of the environment and look there are so many great stories out there but it just seems the small minority of poor management that gets highlighted in, in the media and um unfortunately that reflects poorly on all of us and look we all i think we all need to get better um we certainly can't stand still and but I think we all have something to contribute, both in the towns and the cities. I know what we're doing here on our farm to make a difference before the generation before. And look, I do talk to many of my friends in the city, and I just don't think they seem to connect their concentrated living environment, and, I, and that's only getting better with our cities getting bigger, with what's effectively a, a human feed pad. Uh, food is cut and carried, they need large amounts of water and, and effluent and waste is produced. And I just think they also need to take responsibility for their environmental issues that, you know, mm. the pad is creating and, and take responsibility for for the things that we're having, that are being targeted, that we're being targeted for. So, look, I think, we, like I said, we can all get better and I just think not one sector is the enemy. Mm. I think we all just need to look closely at our own backyard, really. Completely agree. In terms of the whole environment issue. Mm. Have you made any significant changes to your farming system over the years? Yeah, look, we, we, we're making small changes all the time. Um, but, I, yeah, we have made some big changes. And, look, some of those have been forced upon us. 
and, and some have also been made with objective decision-making. Look, one that was forced upon us was the drought that we had three years ago. So it was a drought that we had um, as little more, just as little rain as the Sahara. So for three years, it was, it was pretty tough going. So look, we made a significant change. We sold down capital stock, um, which was a really hard decision to do. And then um, when the drought finished three years ago, we actually chose not to replace um, the majority of that capital stock. So what we've done now is we're actually carrying more store stock in our program. And it just means it gives us more flexibility in terms of when we do have um, dry periods, which I think are, are going to become more and more prevalent. We've now got that flexibility to be able to sell stock, store, um, if the going gets tough. So mm. man, that's been quite significant. So we're running a lot less stock on our farm um, over the winter. And, and look, the other thing that was forced upon us was the earthquake, um, which actually happened during the drought. Um, it, shifted, it actually shifted the aquifers, the water aquifers, out on our hill country. So where we did have water disappeared or decreased, and, where, and then we had water pop up in, in our little places. So wow. consequently, we've had to address our water, our water issue or, or the lack of it in certain parts of the farm. So look, this is still a work on because um, it all needs to come out of cash flow, but we're putting in more uh, tank storage systems and more troughs um, as to about, opposed to being reliant on that natural water that are out on our hill blocks. Mm. So um, yeah, that is an ongoing thing. So you know, we've put in something like 60 troughs already and we've got uh, quite a number more to go and, and just putting in more storage as well. Yeah. But I think, um, in terms of, and look, all farmers are facing this. I think we're, um, we have a much more targeted approach to things like fertiliser, uh, the chemicals we use, our, our irrigation, and our animal health applications. So, so everything now has to be documented so that we have traceability in our system. And look, that's a great thing. You know, this is what our consumers are wanting, and they're wanting to know exactly what's going on in our farms. Mm. Um, it just, it just means that we can be a bit more nimble and flexible too to shift with the, the, the times and what our consumers are wanting. So, Fiona, what professional services do you use to help make decisions for your farming business? Look, we, ex we actually access many services um, from experts in their chosen field. Look, I don't think farmers have to be the jack of all trades, master of none now. Um, you just have to be open to advice and, and have the ability to go and seek it. Mm. Um, I'm just I'm just thinking about the last month who we've probably, you know, I talk to my accountant, accountant and bank manager um, on a regular basis. I think they're a really important part of our senior management team. And, you know, often people are quite, um, you know, sceptical of their bank manager. But look, I see the bank manager. He's free for a start in terms of his advice. Um, and, um, you know, I'm always using him as a sounding board in terms of our our financial needs mm. you know david is always talking to the fert and seed reps you know they're great knowledge of of the soil agronomy and and the latest and greatest in seed and and forage crops and you know they they're, they're very good with their knowledge you know um and just, just on the just, just on sorry. the um fertilizer companies and say seed companies do you find that sales reps are a good reliable source of information Look, I think I think they're really good. I think we've probably been lucky with the ones we've had who are, who are our experts in their chosen field. Um, but you know, I mean, there's always Google if if you don't feel comfortable with what advice they're offering you. But look, 
you know, we, um, they're the experts, they're the ones that have trained probably for three or four years in ag science and, um, you know, they're the ones that um, are seeing what's the latest and greatest coming through their doors. So um, I, I don't know why you wouldn't um, use them and, and trust the knowledge that they have um, because they're the ones who keep retraining in that area as well. So like I said, you know, we don't have to be the master of uh, fertiliser and seed anymore. You know, we can, we can seek out that knowledge. Yeah, sure. What about your peers or family members? Do you discuss farm-related issues to help with decisions with close ones? Yeah, both David and I are really lucky. We come from both come from family farmer, um, fa- um, family who farm. Um, and look, they're all a great source of expertise and they live all around the country. And look, they're only too happy to share advice or offer, offer up advice. <laughs> Um, you know, yeah. and, and look, we had many challenging conversations over a cup of tea or a beer about uh, about um, what we're doing on the farm. And look, you just have to be open to being challenged, I think, um, which, you know, family are good at doing and, and want to self-improve. Yeah. When you consider factors like climate change or policy change, and you've touched a bit on climate uh, through the drought, is farming becoming harder, do you think? Um, it's actually a really good question. Is farming coming? Look, I don't think it is becoming harder. Farming's always been hard. Um, but what I think farming is becoming, it's becoming more complicated. I think going forward, you have to be fa- you have to farm smarter um, and you have to be techno-savvy. Uh, and in terms of policy and compliance, I, look, there's so much coming, coming at us at the moment and it seems all at once. And often it comes without any robust science or ground truthing behind it. So, look, as farmers, um, there, there has been a little bit of pushback regarding that. And, um, you know, also our farming bodies, I think, are often working in silos. And rather than speaking with one consistent, coherent voice, um, they, they seem to um, speak against each other every now and then. Look, and that, I think, creates a bit of ongoing frustration does from my perspective anyway mm. um but um look hopefully with covid um everyone has become a lot more aware of how important our primary industries are to both our economy and to our country and um yeah i hope it's created some conversation um out there just at the importance of of the primary sector yeah and just due to that covid19 it it has brought this to the fore again do you have confidence in New Zealand's ability to remain a key player? Well, certainly within New Zealand's economy, the agri-sector to remain a key player on the global stage? I really hope so. Um, I think, um, you know, we we have got that disconnect a little bit. Well, not a little bit. I think a lot with the, with the urban-rural um, divide. Um, and I think that's probably an area that we really, really need to strengthen, Um because I think sometimes our city cousins um, don't understand the benefits of what we're doing out here. I don't know if they don't understand or they don't care about the challenges that we face out here and what we actually add to New Zealand Inc. Um, so you think, you, know, is, I think, you think there is a disconnect between urban and rural populations? Yeah, I, look, I, I really do. I, I think there is. I think, well, someone um, offered up a statistic to me the other day, and look, I, don't, I, I haven't... <laughs> I don't know if it's the truth or not, but something like 25% of New Zealanders, um, first generation, um, weren't born in New Zealand. So, um, you know, there's a 
great chunk of our population who who don't know who don't know anyone out in the rural community. You know, mm. and I I think we've got a real problem when our urban urban friends think chocolate milk comes from a brown cow, um, yeah. and yeah. Um, and they think. We, they think putting nylon carpet on the floor is better for the environment than, than putting wool on. Mm. Um, you know, so um, I, I do think there is a disconnect. And I think our, our city folk, they need to start walking the talk and engaging with with the food production issues that they're out there. And I think COVID perhaps may have highlighted that, you know. I think um, they need to engage with the water issues that we've got going on. And, and now perhaps Auckland there will actually realise that water storage is actually probably, is a good thing. Um, and um, something that we've been trying to push out here in the rural community for quite some time is, is more water storage. Um, what about field trips out to the farm? I'm assuming that you have children and, and perhaps some of them might be at school in town. Do they come out to the farm or do they go on field trips to farms? Um, you mean you mean the, the city kids come out to the farms? Yeah. Um, no, they, no, they don't, unless they're doing ag, doing ag as a subject or agribusiness as a subject. Um, no, I, look, they. I do know in the secondary school that they do talk around topics, um, you know, with future problem solving and things like that, and they they do talk about the environment. Um, look, to be fair, I don't know how much they um, hear from the rural voice or get actual farmers in to talk about it or whether they're just getting their information off uh, Mr. Mr. and Mrs. Google. Mm. Yes, it is interesting. I do feel that, as we talked about earlier, due to COVID-19, we are now reliant on on our primary industry to drag us out of this hole that we find ourselves in. And I think the sooner that everybody gets on board with that and perhaps has a deeper understanding of that, are the better. And perhaps our policymakers perhaps might take their foot off the throttle a bit. Yeah. Look, I... Th- the policies, um, I can I can see where they're coming from, but it's just um, there needs to be really, really good science, robust science. Um, they need to listen um, to the people that are involved because um, it, we can't fix everything overnight. And like I said, I, I know what we're doing better is um, in our business that is better than the generation before. Um and um, we're really proud of what we're doing on our property in terms of, um, you know, planting out our wetlands. Um, we've got um, permanent, we've planted permanent forests. Um, you know, we're um, trying to fence off our waterways on areas where it's not too steep. You know, so, you know, that all costs, you know, our bottom line. And, um, yeah, I just really like to think our urban cousins want, want to join in too. And instead of pointing the finger at us, actually look at, at what they're doing that's different from the generation before them in terms of what they're doing for the environment. I thank you very much for your time today, Fiona. Oh, look, it's a pleasure. Look, we love farming um, and we've got amazing and very talented people working in the farming space. And look, some of the new technologies that are starting to be rolled out are going to be game changers in our industry. Um, and look, it's um, New Zealanders are innovators, but rule breakers, and um, we want to do what's right for our country and, and what's best for our land. We just need to be supported, and policy needs to be put in place that allows us to use that science in the best way possible. Completely agree. Thanks again. Talking with Fiona, you can tell she loves her farm and she loves her community. The land is ingrained in her. And we need to nurture and encourage farmers like Fiona to keep on doing what they do day in, day out, which is feeding our nation 
and indeed feeding many millions internationally. You know, one of the biggest challenges our rural communities face is wholesale land use change. This is something I talk about a lot, as I believe through land use change into, say, forestry as an example, has the potential to decimate our rural communities. A recent report by Baker Ag suggests that 26,550 hectares of the 77,800 hectares of entire farms sold into forestry since 2017 were to carbon-only entities, which equates to about 34% of the entire farm sales. The report shows that in 2017, 3,965 hectares of sheep and beef farms were sold into forestry. This increased to 20,227 hectares in 2018 and 36,824 hectares in 2019. On average, between 2018 and 2020, the report identified over 29,500 hectares each year intended to change into exotic forestry. Now this exceeds the 25,000 hectares per annum of exotic pines identified by the Climate Change Commission. In my view, there needs to be policy changes to limit forestry offsetting. Large emitters are not incentivised to change their behaviour or innovate. They're quite simply dumping their pollution on New Zealand farms at the expense of rural communities. This government talks about rebuilding social infrastructure and supporting communities. But in reality, if carbon farming is not capped by the government, then they will have the social degradation of our rural communities on their hands. We talk about sustainability and its importance. I believe our communities need to be sustainable and continue to thrive as well. Thank you for listening and catch you next time on Factor Magri.